we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's open God's Word together and be finding, please, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Be finding 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll begin our reading tonight with just one verse. And I thank Pastor for this opportunity to preach. I don't intend to be long. I know that's been said before, but you can hold me to that. And as you're finding your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'd like to ask you a very simple question. Do you have a life verse? Do you have a life verse? Just the other day, quite some time ago, I was texting my mom and my grandma, my two best friends outside of my wife. By the way, there's no shame in that, fellas. And I was texting them, and I said, Mom, I believe I found your life verse. And you know they're probably interested, thinking, I wonder what it could be. I said, yeah, go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. And in that verse, there's this desperate parent that cries out, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. <laughs> now, the joke would be funnier to you if you knew that I'm not the only brother we have, okay? <laughs> but do you have a life verse? On the count of three, I'd like for you to shout out just the reference. There's no need to quote the whole verse right now. I'm happy that you know it. But shout out the reference for me on the count of three. One, two, three. Those are all great verses, I'm sure. <laughs> well, this verse I'm bringing you to today is a verse that as a young man, when I was a teenager, the age of some of these young people in front of me, was my life verse. Now, let's not get confused about life verses. A life verse is not just a verse that you know. It's a verse you're known by. A life verse isn't just a verse that you like or you even love. It's a verse that you live. And when I was a young person, the same age as some of these, this was a verse that I liked. I thought it sounded good. I thought it looked cool. As a matter of fact, I inscribed it on my little Wilson Evolution I used to carry with me throughout basketball courts in West Virginia. I liked this verse. I loved the way it sounded. I knew it. But I wasn't known by it. And I surely didn't live it. Let's read this verse together. I'll read it out loud. You read it quietly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. The Word of God says this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And perhaps you'd like to take a pen and just underscore two simple words that will serve as the baseline for tonight's message found at the conclusion of the verse, so run, so run. And with God's help, I'd like to preach underneath this heading tonight, the life verse I never lived, the life verse I never lived. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've made. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. I thank you for 
what you've set aside Sunday to be to us Christians and how we have something to celebrate in the resurrection of your dear son, the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave for us and for your glory and pleasure. I pray now you would soften our hearts. Help us to receive with meekness your engrafted word. Give us faith and boldness to respond in a way that would please you. We ask all these things in the name of our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The life verse I never lived. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, perhaps you've been studying with Pastor Hooks these past few years as he's gone through this book of the Bible, you will know that the context is very important. It's very critical. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, up to this point of verse 24, has been defending his apostleship. The Corinthians there were questioning, well, did he really see Christ? Was he sent by Christ, the two defining characteristics of an apostle? That's why we have none today. And Paul begins to defend his apostleship, and all the while he starts to define some of his methods of ministry. Why I do this, why I do that. And he gets to these verses from 19 to 27, and it's almost like he starts to make things much more practical, and he says, this is why I do what I do. This is why I refrain from doing things that I don't do. Some things are worth giving up to gain some people. And after he introduces us to his apostleship and he defines the methods of his ministry, he then begins to paint a word picture. How many of you think in pictures? Anybody like that here? I tend to do that myself. And Paul begins to paint for us a word picture here. So allow me to turn your ears into eyes for a minute. Paul is here, and he takes us to the Isthmus of Corinth. It's just this little neck of land connected to Greece. And he places these people from the courtroom where he defended his apostleship, and he places them in this Olympic stadium, a hippodrome, if you will. These people would have been very familiar with it. As a matter of fact, the Corinthians of that day had their sort of version of an Olympic Games, and they dedicated these games to a Greek god called Poseidon. Paul takes them into this Olympic stadium, and, and within the heart of this stadium would have been a field that was 200 yards long and something like 30 yards wide, and it was a really big deal back in the day. As a matter of fact, there would be people who would line up outside of the stadium knowing that they couldn't get in quite yet, and there were 40,000, records tell us, 40,000 spectators at these types of games back in the day, first century Olympics. And so what would happen in these games is at the beginning of the games, all of the contestants would be announced and all of the competitions would be announced. They would have typical things like running and javelin tossing and discus tossing. And then there would be some unusual things that we don't do today like a chariot race or a boxing match. Even some reports give, I kid you not, poetry recital, singing competitions. So they had something for everybody. And while these heralds were announcing what the games were and what the competitors were, they would give the rules. And if these people were to break those rules and step over and impede those guidelines, they would be announced as disqualified. On the other hand, those who won the rules would be given not a gold medal like we're accustomed to today in the World Olympics, but they would be given some wreath-like crown to wear upon their head. And so Paul brings us not to a physical or a tangible Olympics, but he takes us into a spiritual Olympics. And he tells us in verse 24, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, 
You know, Paul has an amazing way of spiritualizing physical things for simple minds like me. He says, hey, Corinthian church, you're in a race. And it's not just any ordinary race. He's not doing some general race where you're in a race of life and you just need to keep booking it and booking it until you get to heaven. That's not the type of race Paul's talking about. As a matter of fact, if you consider the context, he's introducing all of these Corinthian believers to the fact of this, that they are in a soul winner's race. A soul winner's race. I'm curious, how many of you were involved in any sort of track and field events when you were growing up? Would you raise your hand, please? That's good. Track and field's not as popular as it used to be with the rise of AAU and that sort of thing for summer games. But Paul is saying, look, Corinthian believers, Christians in general, you are a part of a soul winner's race. So with that in line, look at those two words that you underscored again. It's very simple. It's imperative. So run. So run. I'd like to give you a few truths that are comforting and challenging all at the same time about this soul winner's race and talk about this life verse that I really never lived as a younger man. The first one is this, you never run alone. You never run alone. Would you go back a few pages with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? This is a verse that if you've read our bulletins, the front of them that Miss Meesey does a wonderful job of making for us, you would know this verse by memory. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, just the first part of it together. The Bible says, for we are laborers together with God. <laughs> a lot of times when it comes to soul winning, when it comes to presenting the gospel to a lost and dying world, this lost community around us, one of our first excuses is this, ah, you don't know me. I can't talk to people like that. I, I stumble upon my words. I can't equivocate the way that I should. I, I, I just struggle. Hold on a second. What does that verse say? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. You never run alone. You see, in this soul winner's race, it's the most beautiful thing that while you are doing the external work that everybody can see, Christ, as the ultimate teammate, is doing the internal work. And you might be thinking, well, did I say the right thing? I do that all the time when I have the privilege of ministering to these young people. Would I, did I say that right? Did I exegete this passage correctly? The truth of the matter is, all that my job is just present the truth of the gospel and God's word to somebody, and I'm not the real preacher. Christ is my ultimate teammate. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's great, a soul winner's race. Well, I don't want to run. Can I tell you, if you're a Christian, the moment you were saved, you were entered into this race without a choice. You say, without a choice? Well, you made the choice to be saved, didn't you? Right. Christ paid the entry fee for every single person in the world to be entered into this race. You are never running alone. Go back to chapter 9 again, would you please? And as we're reading this text, keep in mind that Christ paid the entry fee for us to be a part of this race, and we never run alone. May I say it this way? Christ finished his race so we could start this one. 
and continue the work of Christ that he left us here to do, that he imparted unto us his Holy Spirit to do. He is our teammate. We are laborers together with God. But look across at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would. Actually, chapter 9, if you would, and verse, uh, let's call it verse 16, verse 17, verse 18. There it is. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. It's the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Are you starting to get the picture here? It's not about Paul. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me as the runner. It's not about you as the runner. It is the gospel of Christ. It's all about him. You see, we're running with Christ on this side of the pulpit, with Christ as our ultimate teammate. But we're running with Christ on this side as the baton in our hand, as the message that we're carrying. He's in our hearts. He's in our mouths. He's by our side. We're running with Christ. Christ, you never run alone. You never run alone. And I've noticed this in my own life. There are really only two types of Christian soul winners in this race. Would you like to know what they are? They are those who participate. I mean, they get involved. But you know what I like to do sometimes, especially when I was a young person, when this was my life first, I would just sit on the sidelines. As a matter of fact, you're not sitting on the sidelines. I'd sit on the track there, and I would just put on my little spectator's hat, and I'd cheer on my pastor. Go get him, Pastor Papa. Go win him to the Lord. You're great at it. I've never met a soul winner like you. You keep it up. I was a part of the 40,000 that would just spectate and watch as everybody else ran. When the truth of the matter is, I've been entered into this race, and when I sit down and don't run, so run, when I don't run like Christ has commanded me to, you know what's happening? I'm preventing other people from running, and I'm preventing other people who are within my reach of receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is, no person, no person has the same opportunity and influence There are people that you can reach that, quite frankly, I cannot. There are people that my papa can reach back in West Virginia that, quite frankly, I cannot. And there are people that God has given me a sphere of influence over and the opportunity with that I can reach that you cannot. That's why it's so pertinent that we run. But be of good cheer. You never run alone. The problem today is this. We know that Christ is with us, and we know that we have Christ as our ultimate message and teammate, but you know what we like to do? We get more concerned about delivering our preferences than delivering the gospel. We get more concerned about just passing along our political propaganda, and we get offended almost if people disagree with us, that we stop looking at the spiritual things, and we start looking at the tangible and the temporal things, and that prevents us from being involved in this race that Christ entered us into upon the moment of salvation. But once you realize this, that you're not running alone, you start to take your eyes off yourself, and you start to see things the way your teammate, Christ, sees them. You never run alone. Number two, would you write it down? You run for the audience of one. You run for the audience of one. Verse 25, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And every man that striveth for the mastery, 
That is, everybody that wants to be great at something is temperate. They apply great self-restraint in all things. Have you noticed how the superior athletes of the day really practice great self-restraint? I was doing research one time, and I came across the second-best basketball player in all the world, LeBron James. He spends approximately $1.5 million a year on his body alone. Diet, workout regimes, meal plans, chefs, $1.5 million. These are the type of people that spend hours upon hours a day in the gym. They practice all this great self-restraint and this great discipline. Why do they do it? Let's ask the Bible. Word of God, why do those people do those sorts of things? Look at verse 25. Now they do it to obtain, maybe you'd like to circle this, a corruptible crown. A corruptible crown. You want to be the leading scorer in your school's history? You've got to practice hard. You've got to put in the work. You've got to be disciplined. They do it for corruptible crowns where moth and dust doth corrupt. Does that sound familiar? And Look, there's nothing wrong with these things. Intrinsically, scoring points or obtaining a scholarship or doing well in school or working and trying to progress your way up the corporate ladder, there's nothing wrong with those things. But listen, good things become bad things when we treat them like the best thing in our life. It's all about prioritization. Now, these people, they, they practice great self-restraint, and eventually they obtain the things they've worked so hard for, but their rewards do not last because ultimately they're running for themselves. Why would we run the soul winner's race? Look at the end of the verse 25. But we, an incorruptible, and incorruptible. Did you have any corruptible crowns growing up? Do you have one right now? Maybe it's some position you're trying to obtain. Maybe, maybe it's popularity that you're seeking. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's wealth. I don't know what it is. It could be a good thing. But beware of letting those good things becoming the best thing in your life. That's when they become bad things. And we, as children of God in this soul winner's race... We run for the audience of one. We run to obtain an incorruptible crown. Have you been studying with us through the book of Revelation during Sunday school? Hasn't that been excellent? It's been eye-opening as we unite together and study verse by verse, chapter by chapter. If you're studying with us, if not, you could know this, that there are five crowns that Christians are eligible to receive at the judgment seat of Christ. This is where when we approach Christ, because we are saved, we're not being judged for our sins. Christ bore the judgment for our sins. But because we are saved, we are being judged for our service, and we are eligible to receive five rewards, five crowns, if you will. And Paul makes mention, he alludes to one of them, as an incorruptible crown. One of the crowns that every Christian can win, you're all eligible, is the soul winner's crown. It's called the crown of rejoicing. But do you want to know what the wonderful thing about this crown is? We don't keep them. 
We talk about these crowns and obtaining them and almost get this picture in our minds that we're going to be strutting around heaven, all of us with all of our crowns, and some people are wearing two or three or four, and I don't know what the mental picture is in your mind, but that's kind of how I see it. But listen to Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. These people of God cast their crowns before the throne, praising God, for He alone is worthy of our crowns. And at the end of the day, it might be gratifying and satisfying to see a soul wander Christ, but it's not about you. It's nothing you said or did that really made the difference. You're just the conduit. You're just the vessel. It's your teammate that got the job done, and it's your coach that receives the glory, honor, and praise. We run for the audience of one. Praise be unto God. He took our crown of thorns so that we could give him a crown of rejoicing. Do you have any corruptible crowns that are getting in the way of this soul winner's race? Thirdly, and I'll be done. Your greatest competition is within. Your greatest competition is within. Verse 26. I therefore so run. You know what I love about Paul? as he never asked something of his followers that he wasn't willing to do himself. What was the command he gave us in verse 24? You underscored it, two words. What were they, church? And what does Paul say in verse 26? I therefore so run. Not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection. Lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Listen to these, not as uncertainly. And then this statement here, not as one that beateth the air. He's saying, I'm not running this race aimlessly. He's got his GPS locked into a focal point. He has a central focus. He has what I like to call eternal intentions. An effective gospel witness always has eternal intentions. A man in history that I've liked to study in times gone by was David Brainerd of the 1700s. He was a missionary to the native Indians. Have you heard of him? It's estimated throughout history that he rode nearly 3,000 miles on horseback trying to present the gospel to the Native Americans. Can you imagine? A man of eternal intentions. Might I read a quote for you that he said? I cared not where or how I live or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls to Christ. When I was asleep, I dreamed of these things. When I woke up, the first thing I thought of was this great work. All my desire was for the conversion of the heathen and all my hope was in God. A man of eternal intentions. When was the last time that you went to bed with a soul on your mind? I'll tell you why you didn't. Because the greatest competition's within. When was the last time that you woke up in the morning, I've got to pray for my family member who's lost. I've got to pray for that neighbor that I have reach of who's lost. I've got to pray for that friend or that coworker who's lost. When was the last time you woke up with that on your mind? I'll tell you why you didn't. Because the greatest competition is within. Look at verse 27. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection. Now, if you were to study out 
the original word there. It literally means this, that I'm willing to give myself a black eye spiritually to prevent my flesh from getting what it wants. He realized that there's an enemy within that is constantly around 24-7. We have three enemies as Christians. We have the world, the flesh, and who? The devil. The world is constantly around us, but we could almost hermit up and go into our homes and avoid the world if you wanted to. And the devil, he's, he's not omnipresent like our God is. He can only be at one place at one time. We, we could try to avoid that if we wanted to. He could send his demons after us, but perhaps we won't be around them all the time. But Paul knew his greatest competition wasn't the world, and it wasn't the devil. It was his flesh. That's why he said to the Romans, within me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's why he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And that's why in this soul winner's race, we don't run. Because we think, well, it's a little inconvenient. It's a little awkward. I mean, that's the first time I've ever seen this person, let alone talk to them. Or, I don't know. That person, I mean, they don't look like me. I, I, I don't want to sacrifice certain things so I can reach that person. I, there are things that I like to do, and if I want to reach them, I've got to give this stuff up. Listen to what Paul says about that in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Verse 20, and unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I weak, and that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. May I say it this way? It's worth giving up some things to gain some souls. It might be something that you have liberty to do as a Christian, and it doesn't cause you to stumble, but the person you're trying to reach, well, it might cause them to stumble. It might be a matter of getting 30 minutes early to your workplace so you have a conversation opportunity with one of your coworkers. Anything worthwhile costs something. But listen, anything worthwhile pays too. Paul understood this principle that the greatest competition was within. And here's the sobering part of it all. Look at the end of verse 27. He's saying, I keep my body under subjection. I fight my flesh. I say no to myself. I say yes to Christ and his promptings, lest that by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Disqualified. Is there something in your life that would prevent you or disqualify you from being the soul winner that God saved you to be? Can I say it this way? Does your lifestyle line up with the gospel? Do you live the type of life that is loving? 
Do you live the type of life that is gracious? Do you live the type of life that is merciful? Do you live the type of life that is separated? Let me, may I say it this way? Does it look like you're saved? Faith without works is dead. True faith works. And Paul says, there's coming a day when I'll approach the judgment seat of Christ. And I live this type of lifestyle, saying no to myself, giving myself black eyes spiritually, keeping my body into subjection, not indulging my flesh, even though I have liberty to do certain things, so that I won't be a castaway. So that when I go to receive this crown that ultimately isn't my own, it's my saviors, my kings who wore my crown of thorns, that I'd be eligible. That I have something to give my savior in eternity. It's worth giving up some things to gain some people. May I remind you of some things in this soul winner's race? You never run alone. Absolutely never. You run for the audience of one. And your greatest competition is within. May I challenge you? Just challenge you real quick. Find one soul that's within your race's reach. Pray for it this summer. Maybe it's a family member. As I studied this message, two people came to my mind that I know that God has given me the opportunity to reach. And sometimes I just negate it and I push it off and I neglect it. God didn't call me to sit idly by while others are racing on with the gospel. Just one person. So run. This is the life verse I never lived. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.